three, two. Elon Musk, Brett Taylor, Sam Altman, the biggest names in tech in Silicon Valley are looking to raise huge sums of money, billions of dollars to fund the next era of startups. It is Friday, January 26th. Welcome to the Tech Chuck Podcast. I am Mark Gilbert with Deirdre Bosa. Hey, Dean. Hey, good morning, Mark. When's the last time someone offered you $20 million over four years for compensation? When's the last time I went out looking for $20 million for four years? Really? <laughs> I mean, really this is the world of senior AI researchers. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, just, But that's just one little tidbit of how expensive it is to build in this space. Um, but our story today, right? The already biggest names in tech, not complacent, running some of the biggest companies in the world already. They want to build the next generation of AI companies. And it helps, of course, that they have established proven track records because, to my point a moment ago, building AI companies is not cheap. Yeah. I mean, so let's go through the three of them, right? The FT reports that the Financial Times reports that Elon Musk is in talks to raise up to $6 billion to finance a challenger to Microsoft OpenAI juggernaut. It's called XAI. And he's already said he doesn't want to build this inside Tesla because he doesn't own enough shares of Tesla anymore. He doesn't have enough control of Tesla. So he's already said he wants to build this uh, AI company and his sort of special projects outside of Tesla. So that's one. Two, Brett Taylor, who's probably the, the least well-known of the three, but inside Silicon Valley is sort of like a savant, right? Former beloved. Salesforce co-CEO. Yeah, beloved. He's now the chairman of OpenAI. He was the former chair of Twitter. He's reportedly close to finalizing uh, a funding round for his startup, Sierra, that would value it at a billion dollars. And then Sam Altman is reportedly chasing billions of dollars to build a AI chip startup or some sort of like chip enterprise meeting with the biggest semiconductor companies in South Korea. Right. Very different propositions here, but all of them very expensive to do. I mean, Musk's venture, right, wants to build another large language model. So what does that take? Compute power. So $6 billion, actually, like not even that much if you consider that OpenAI raised $13 billion from Microsoft okay. yep. to develop ChatGPT4. Um, Brett Taylor, this is his startup sounds like it's building on top of these large language models. So if he's raising $85 million, that's a little bit less. But I mean, still, these are early stage companies. And these are, and this is a tough funding environment for anyone other than a generative AI company, especially for anyone other than <laughs> Musk, Brett Taylor, or Sam Altman. Sam Altman, you could argue, is maybe like the hardest to pull off because he wants to build chips, something that very few are able to do. Um, but let's talk first about the compute power. So reporting, I thought this was interesting. This report from the information a few days ago, it looked at what's required to build the large language models. And it had a few sources on Anthropic's gross margin and found that it was between 50 and 55% in December. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good gross margin, except when you compare it across the average gross margin for cloud and software stocks. Yeah, they so, had a really good they had a really good chart in the in the article. And you have, you know, Anthrop Anthropics margin at 50 to 55%. Let's just go sit through some other companies, right? C3 AI, their margin 72%. Salesforce, their margin is 76%. Uh, UiPath, 87%. Adobe, Adobe, a huge company, right? One of the mm -hmm. biggest tech companies in the world still has margins of 88%. And GitLab, 91%. Yeah. So when you put it against that, and if you think that, you know, all these billions of dollars are going into generative AI companies, 
because you'll eventually profit. It may take longer to get there if the gross margin is between 50 and 55%. So just kind of like one look at how the compute power and all this other stuff factors in. I mean, it's, it's kind of a crazy idea that this much money is going into these companies and the business model may not be that great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. If the, you know, you're, as, a, as a software company, usually in the startup phase, you know, margins are at like 90%. And then you're, you've got to say, you know, as the cost of, you know, customer acquisition cost and all this stuff, uh, you know, margins are going to come down as this company matures and it's going to become, you know, whatever Amazon's margins are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, then here's the counterpoint. I don't know if this is true, but maybe in generative AI, because the inputs are going to become cheaper, the margins go up over time. That's so a that's, good point. It's a I huge wonder. startup cost. It's much more like building an open AI company is much more like building like a, like an oil company, right? Where you have to do this huge upfront fixed exactly. cost. You got to go drill the well. You got to go train yeah, the model. You got to go, you know, like uh, invest all this capital up front. And then there's going to be this long tail of, of high margin output, you know, after you've and done you, the first you, couple of years of work. You have more real world inputs at the beginning, right? And that's GPUs, like physical GPUs and infrastructure that you need to develop these models. And another one that I want to get to, talent, right? Talent is an absolutely massive expense that right now, um, is just so astronomical, but over time may go down, just like we saw during the dot-com boom period. I was at a dinner last night um, with the CEOs of Databricks, Box, and Salesforce AI, and it was all on record. They were really candid. It was so fascinating. I learned so much. Um, but one of them, it was Ali Godsey, the CEO of Databricks. He said that the going compensation package for a senior AI researcher is $20 million over four years. Let's just say you hire five of those. And this is senior. That's a hundred million dollars right off the bat. I mean, so let's just go back, right? Because I didn't actually say the number. So Brett Taylor, right? Uh, he's raising $85 million uh, to get to a um, $1 billion valuation. So with that $85 million, he can afford four for researchers <laughs> and have and have nothing left. However, if he's building on top of the models, he yeah, yeah, need yeah, yeah. AI researchers, and that's exactly why you see so many companies not actually building the models. But it's just insanely expensive, right? Even if he needs engineers that aren't senior AI data analysts or researchers, um, you want someone obviously who can work with prompts and in generative AI, that's going to be so much money if it's not $20 million over four years. I Googled, uh, after, after reading this, I Googled, after you told me this this morning, I Googled, um, how fast can you become a data scientist? Um, (laughs) you know, just to sort of see what the options, options out there. How, how long will it take you? I mean, you know, it's hard to say these companies are trying to sort of sell you, you know, on their like coding boot camps, but you know, they offer, you know, the, the six weeks to a couple months to become, uh, <laughs> you know, to become proficient. The problem is, wow. is, that, is that people aren't paying for proficiency. They're paying for like expertise, right? It's not. <laughs> and there's like, these are actual like PhDs, you know, yeah, there's, there's yeah, yeah, how yeah. to become proficient in prompting. And then there's like a PhD. Yeah, these are and totally different. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to um, Salesforce AI CEO. Her name is Clarice C. I hope S-H-I-H, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. She was really smart and interesting. And she was saying how everyone in Salesforce can take these courses to become like AI proficient. And they offer it across the entire organization because every part of the business will be changed. And they're already looking at that. Someone asked her, like, other than the AI division that she heads up, where are they integrating it? She just like deadpan said, 
absolutely everywhere. Like there's not a single part of the business this doesn't touch. And from the sales associate to the marketing associate, they have the opportunity to do these courses. That's really interesting. And, and then, if you don't, I mean, essentially you'll be left behind. Like you may not have to be an engineer to keep up with this. You could just be someone in IT and you'll be displaced if you don't keep up with yeah, whatever. Or in like marketing or yeah, yeah. in the sales organization, you don't know how to use these tools that you're then trying to sell to the, you know, whoever your end market is, you know, and then so we've talked about the employees and we, we've talked about the sort of how expensive the, the models are to build. And then there's making the actual chips themselves, right? That's arguably the most ambitious part of this whole thing. NVIDIA is the, you know, clear leader here. Them plus TSMC have put in years and tens of billions of dollars into R&D, you know, and then you also have the mega caps, right? You've got Google, Amazon, uh, they're still using NVIDIA GPUs, but they're trying to catch up and, and create their own in-house silicon, you know, efforts as is Apple, you know, as is supposedly Microsoft, you know, this is like sort of like the next race. And I thought I wanted to mention Intel here as well, because it was only I recently was, it was when in, Pat look, Delsinger yeah. came back and he had this crazy plan a lot of wall street thought at the time to build a foundry business so it's one thing to design the chips it's another thing to manufacture them and to manufacture them you need equipment and tons of sort of research and development um and equipment that costs hundreds and thousands of dollars billions altogether to actually make it and get down on the nanometer scale um so it's just a huge undertaking and there's this idea of like how could sam altman do this but again headlines that maybe he's visiting some of the established players in south korea for example to partner with them and do this um but the idea i still find so fascinating gilbert that these titans of tech they're they can't sit still they want yeah. to continue to do this, even though they're running some of the most important companies in the world. Yeah. I mean, I did think that the uh, just sort of reading these articles, you do sort of get the sense that it is also um, there's a sort of like uh, expectations game here that they're playing. You know, when you when you see Elon Musk is looking for six billion dollars, there's something about right, like a, a kind of like ego. And it's the same of Sam Altman. It's sort of like I'm trying to shock the world and change the world. It's not enough just to build like an enterprise wrapper on top of an existing uh, large language model. Yeah. It's sort of like all about this sort of like, no, I'm going to go raise six billion dollars and create a new nation state and, you know, what I mean? like upend the foundry and, business. Well, another way to think of it is these guys are um, inventors. Right. They invent one thing and then they want to move on. And it's totally. interesting to think about how much pressure Tesla, right? <laughs> Elon's main day job has totally. been under this year. I mean, Kramer taking Tesla out of the Magnificent Seven, turning it into the Super Six. It's and, and the disastrous sort of um earnings call that Tesla just went through, people doubting him. It's like he, he doesn't care. He just wants to keep creating. And I do, I will say that I think it feels silly that people are now sort of trying to write off Tesla. I mean, there's a reason he's here. You can't, you have to suspend your belief a little bit and manage your expectations. Yeah. I mean, it does feel a little bit like it's sort of, I mean, Elon Musk, his, his greatest uh, achievement, sort of in my opinion, is his capital raising. I mean, it's, it's yep. been the, the, the thing, the single thing he's best at, the single thing if you sort of tie together what he does in space and what he does with cars and Twitter and all this stuff, that the, his core competency is capital raising. He's amazing at, uh, you know, getting people excited about his next project and then raising capital for it. And that's how you reinvent the car. You need capital to do yeah. so, which he's pulled off. And then even with the whole Twitter X fiasco that we don't know how or where it ends, but obviously it's been rough at this early stage. The valuation. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that one's been uh, super successful. Is, but but still, I mean, the fact that he could go out and raise $6 billion um, is pretty incredible. And I would say 
amazing because he's done amazing things for humanity in terms of Tesla and SpaceX. And if generative AI is truly going to be this, you know, massive sea change for humanity, you kind of want him looking at it. Yeah, and I'm more circumspect. That, I think let's see. Yeah. Let's see if he raises the six. Let's see if he raises the six, or if that's like a trial balloon. To see oh, I, I think he'll have no problem. I, <laughs> I think he'll have no problem. I mean, did you see him, when when when, the, when there was the the court case about Twitter, and you saw the texts between him yes. and all these like Silicon Valley luminaries, and how easy it was for him to raise money? Just the texts of people like, "Hey, I'm in. I'm in for uh, 25 mil if you need it." You know, like people just. And and then remember too, it was I think there was one with like Sam Bankman Fried trying to give him money, and he yeah, was like nah, trying I'm good. to give him money. Yeah, but that's like the beauty of Elon Musk, right? He he does have a proven track record. Maybe X Twitter is not there yet. Maybe it will never be there. But totally. it's very difficult to argue with Tesla. You can't. There, you just can't argue with Tesla and SpaceX. I do. I do sort of want to point out one more thing in this story, which is that these huge sums of money we're talking about. We've tried. We've sort of talked about this story a lot, but that. You know, like there's some. I'm going to make a again analogy, right? If if you uh, if you want to invest in a in a new in a new restaurant, right? It, the restaurant could get a huge valuation because you know there's a line out the door. People love yeah. the food, and that's why it's getting this huge valuation, right? Or there's a scenario where the restaurant comes to you and says, "Hey, listen, uh, we're going to buy a new big marble countertop, and it's really expensive. Labor's expensive. We're going to invest. We want to build a farm next to the restaurant, and that's really expensive. And so, you know, they're asking for checks. They're asking for millions of dollars in checks. And all of a sudden, their valuations. All right, well, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to get 100 percent of the company for my yeah. million dollars. So, like, all right, you got to value this at you know four or five <laughs> million. Like, and all of a sudden, you have this huge valuation for this restaurant that hasn't you know sold anything yet. And so, when I look at some of these numbers, I'm like. Is the business model so amazing? And is that why we're getting these sort of eye-popping valuations? Or is it just because the startup costs are so high? It's a good point you bring up. And this was actually part of the discussion last night as well. Like, are we in bubble territory? And it just seems obvious to everyone in Silicon Valley that um, the cost, all these inputs are going to come down, whether that be the GPUs, whether that be the talent, you're not going to continue to keep fetching $20 million over four years forever. And so which models are going to prove obsolete. Like even the simple question, which I thought was interesting, how does open AI make money in the future if Google's model is good enough or close to good enough and they're offering it for free? And there's a perplexity, right? That has a really great user UI experience. Who's going to pay for open AI? Is it going to be consumers? Is it going to be businesses? Are people going to want to use open models? So a big question, but we can say right now that the inputs and the cost to build is just really expensive. It's not all that surprising to see Elon Musk, Brett Taylor, Sam Altman um, do this. But it actually raises the question too, who else Who else could put their hat in the ring here and develop more companies? It's an exciting thought to see some of the most exciting people in tech try something yeah. new. Yeah. Who else is going to do this um, after we've seen sort of so much of it just come from the the big, you know, big, te- the biggest mega cap tech companies, maybe we get do get some sort of uh, powerful startups in this space. Yeah. Wait, the other thing we got to talk about. Yeah, I know what you're going to say is, uh, yep. I, have... I put my, my fake <laughs> face goggles on. We have <laughs> a big weekly piece that's going to be uh, posting later today in our podcast feed. You can also go to cnbc.com slash tech check and watch it. Uh, and it's all about the headset race. Yes. And we took a very specific look at it because we are not product reviewers, um, nor have I had, sadly, had the chance to try the Vision Pro yet. But we just looked at sort of what's the track record behind each company? What do they do really well that could 
make them succeed in this battle? And what are they lacking that could be a stumbling block for them? So let's say like Apple's experience in hardware and its vertical integration, the way that it has sort of already its operating system and it makes it develops its own in-house silicon with its chips. Um, that's an advantage. But at the same time, you have big names like Netflix and YouTube not signing on to develop separate apps for the Vision Pro. So it's like kind of like a point for Meta, a point for Apple. Whose is this to lose? We decided, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. We think it's Apple's to lose. Doesn't mean it will, but we think that it's got sort of this great advantage um, at the start. And then we also looked at a scenario where neither of them could win and both I think that's. I think that's the most interesting, right? Is there, is there a scenario yeah. where neither wins and this is just sort yeah. of a, you know, a, a lost project for both companies or do both win, right? In the, in the same way that, uh, you know, in the famous battle between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, right? Both won. What are the two most valuable yes. companies in Different the world ways. right now? Apple and Microsoft. <laughs> and so, you know, you would think that they're going to succeed, but there's been, and we, we spent a little bit of time talking about this too. This has been one of the most exciting years in hardware that I've ever seen in my eight years covering tech in San Francisco. You've got things like the Humane Pin and the Rabbit device that sits in your right. pocket begs the right. question of like, if we're seeing this platform change, maybe it's not a maybe it's not face goggles is that what you call it computer face goggles face goggles yeah <laughs> yeah maybe it's something <laughs> that we we haven't seen before so just interesting things to ponder over your weekend check out the interesting check things weekly. to ponder the tech check tagline interesting things to ponder stay tuned for it see you guys next week